0: Welcome back to The Scribe's Journal. I am your host, The Scribe of Worlds, and I am joined by the Violet author in studio. Hello! We haven't recorded together since the first three episodes. Yeah. And by recorded together, I mean recorded live in the same room since the first three episodes, and that's only because we recorded those three episodes all in one go
1: back to back.
0: Back to back. That was
1: a a day. That was a day. We're a little bit more settled now. Scribe has a really fun office space that he is converting into a podcast space. Although I will say uh, I intend to bring in some decorations next time I'm here to make this place a bit more glamorous.
0: And I'll probably tear them down as soon as she's gone, but (laughs) they'll be (laughs) up briefly. So I I realize that probably you were wondering what today's episode is going to be about. And you might even say that the suspense is killing you.
1: Maybe you're on the edge of your seat thinking about what we're going to do today.
0: And I know you could probably just read the title and the description and, and figure out where we're going. But if you're a good podcast listener, you just started listening to this. No, no looking at the podcast. Everyone knows title that there's or...
1: a good way to be a podcast listener and a bad way. Yes, and exactly. you need to be very careful yes. because those two are very distinct. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You could get Dr. Points and get a, get a bad grade mm-hmm. in podcast listening.
1: Yeah. And listen, he's ruthless. I'm a little more easygoing. Like, <laughs> like you can cheat on the final.
0: Of the two of us, you can... F- wow. Like,
1: you can cheat on the final. <laughs> if you've done, like, a good amount of essays and tests beforehand, like, open book, open note, I don't care.
0: Well, can't wait until your masterclass comes out. Uh, <laughs> but until such a time, we are going to be taking a break from spinning wheels and talking a little bit about the element and the art of using suspense in your stories. And if you are writing horror or thriller, then you definitely want to listen in. And if you're writing adventure or even romance, you probably want to listen in. And I can't
1: think of a genre that doesn't utilize suspense in some way, except for, like, the dictionary.
0: That's not a genre, <laughs> no! per se. As a text, I don't think textbooks are considered genre. No,
1: they're not. But when... There's such an importance to suspense because it's not just limited to horror and thriller. Suspense is how you keep your readers listening through, and well, listening, I say, is run a podcast. Suspense is how you keep your readers into the story the entire way through.
0: Yeah. And along with that, like the element of suspense in writing is really difficult because, like, we've talked about briefly on the podcast and a lot more in personal conversations. Movies can do this very, very easily because they can add dramatic music. They can add jump scares where you literally don't see it coming. It's very easy to add those kinds of things in a theatrical setting, but it is a lot more difficult to add that kind of stuff in when you're writing. So let's just jump right off. Violet, you're a little bit more in the thriller horror side of things. So what some examples of suspense that you've used in your books or your stories that you'd be willing to share with us?
1: Hmm. Oh, I'm trying to think of a specific one. For anyone who doesn't know, I have seven projects that are currently running, which means that thinking of just one thing at any point in time is a little bit difficult. But let me open up what I use to keep everything organized, which is Notebook AI, and look at my universes to see which one would be best to represent. I think I'll go with the augmented, mostly because it's it's the one I've talked about the most, but also the best example I can give. Uh, The Augmented is a story, as I said before, it's a mystery following a journalist major as he joins the school in order to try and find answers on the mystery of his disappeared sister through another group of individuals who disappeared and came back, much in the same way she disappeared, even though she did not come back. So there's a scene that I'm thinking of right now. The basketball court, is a place where I hold a lot of suspense scenes, and there's one in particular where Taylor, the main character, has been trying to build an alliance with this group of individuals known as The Arrival. But he's been having difficulty with two in particular, being Marius and Augustus, who uh, also goes by August. I've talked about him before. And Taylor is invited to the basketball game by two members of The Arrival and warned to not go because of Marius and August by another. Taylor decides to go because he believes it's the best way to show that he's serious about telling their story. And he is attacked by Marius and threatened within an inch of his life. And I like to use suspense in this scene because there's something that happens at the very end that's very confusing. Marius is about to pretty much punch the lights out of Taylor when all of a sudden him and August have a splitting headache that happens in the same moment. Uh, And there's a second of suspense where you try and figure out what the next movement's going to be, if Taylor's really going to get beaten up, what's going on with the story in that moment. There's a lot of little elements that are introduced in that moment, or they've been introduced. We'll talk more about this, the importance of setting up suspense later on, but I I think that's an example I can think of right now, and I'm sorry if that's a little bit vague. I don't want to spoil the story, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, but it is... It is definitely a suspenseful moment because we follow Taylor's thought process as he sees Marius coming across the room angry and he knows what's about to happen and he tries to figure out a way around it, but there is no way around it. So that's one of the examples that I have. I hope that made sense. (laughs) What about you, Scribe? Do you have any examples?
0: Yeah, so this is actually one that I just wrote recently. It's in the Adventures in Fantasy Saga. Has
1: this been published yet? As of this recording,
0: okay. I think it will be. Okay. Uh, but if not, it will be out very soon. But what I did with this one was I set it up to be about a character with slight amnesia. So he doesn't know what happened in the last like half hour. And he's trying to mm-hmm. figure out why he's seeing the things that he's seeing and just what's going on. And it's it the start of it is suspenseful because you get thrown into the middle of it without knowing what's going on. And it feels like a very high stakes thing that's going on. So like immediately, the, the the opening line is restraints on his wrists, ankles. A step struggled forward, the sensation of falling in the cold concrete against his face. Blinding light poured around him, a ringing in his ears as he called out desperately, IZZA! Wait, what? What?
1: Wait, is it Steph? What? Wait a minute, have I read this? No, you haven't. I What? Wait a minute! A Sidebar! <laughs> Wait, what happened?
0: This happens before the Wandering Isle arc. Everyone comes out okay.
1: Is it just an Izzah and Steph? Yes. Okay, so it's just a Jeopardy! sequence? Yes. Why haven't I read this yet?
0: Because I haven't gone back and edited it yet.
1: Oh, well, that makes sense. Yes. I usually get Scribe's second draft. After yes. he's gone through, unless it's like a look what I wrote last night. <laughs> but what? Oh my gosh! What? I'm I look? I'm looking forward to this so much right now. This and is... I'll
0: I'll I'll probably keep going back to this one a couple times. But immediately, so there there there's my reaction. Well, if you oh, know yeah, these that's... characters. <laughs> If you know these characters and know the the relationship that these two have, you know why someone calling out that name is so suspenseful. Because like the Violet author just showed, you don't know what's going on. You don't know if this is like, Issa is it hurt? Is it is dead? Is it is missing? Or is it right there and Steph is hurt, missing, or dead?
1: Or is... Steph just trying to find his comfort person. I ship Steza. I ship Steza so much. Steza?
0: Yes. Oh, gosh. I've never heard that Steza, before. Steza,
1: it's their ship name.
0: I, I, I understand the concept of ship
1: yep. names. I
0: understand <laughs> that it's their ship name.
1: You've been you've been around me for too long to not understand the concept oh, of ship
0: names. Oh, I knew, ship knew about ship names before you. Okay, that makes Trust sense. Trust me. Yeah, that's just the first time I've ever heard anyone say it. So, Steza. Steza. Gosh. Point being, um, <laughs> so that's, that's why it's suspenseful because immediately you're thrown into a situation that you have no idea what's going on. And even in the opening paragraphs, you have. You have no clue what's happening. And the situation does end up getting resolved by the end. But, I would hope so. <laughs> but the the whole thing is written in kind of that like the blurriness of trying to wake up and process a situation that you're you're not really fully sure you comprehend. And you get to do that through Steph's eyes, which is really great. When you write a story that like we like we did with genre smashers last week, we wrote a story and we got to introduce our world through one of the character's eyes, general
1: Oh yeah, <clears throat> thank you. Scribe just saw the vague confusion in my eyes as I searched the archives for what we did last week.
0: So we we created a world and then created a main character who was new to that world, and we got to kind of, if, if we ever went back to write it, we would be able to lay out that world and explore that world through this character's eyes, and that makes for very easy world building because... It's an easy way for readers who don't know anything about our world either to process the information and find stuff out about our world without us just Mm -hmm. lore dumping. Mm -hmm. And we talk about lore in another episode. We're talking about suspense today. So the same sort of thing. When you have an element of suspense that is being grappled with by a character and you can dive into what that suspense feels like, what it looks like, the toll it takes on the character, it grips the reader all the more, I Mm -hmm.
1: think. Because at the end of the day, it's relatable. Yes. I talked a little bit about relatability in our last episode, but it is so important to have something that a reader can connect to. Last time we talked about how important it is for a reader to be able to connect to the main character's point of view in order for them to want to follow the story. But this time with suspense, you don't want to drop your readers into a world that they can't connect to in some way. Mm -hmm. And so with Scribe's example here, he used a name that I was familiar with and that I had a connection to. So the second that I heard this beloved character's name being screamed in a suspenseful manner, I was drawn in because, oh my gosh, what's happening? Another example you can use is that, something that you'll see often in media is that they will use animals because people have a very deep connection to, specifically dogs. There's a lot of times where you'll see an opening sequence or first few episodes where you people will use, or the, or in an opening of a movie, if we could take John Wick yeah, as an example, exactly what I was thinking, Yep. <laughs> people love dogs. And so the even though they don't know the world that we're in and they don't know the characters, they know that this person has a beloved animal that they love dearly. They put that animal in jeopardy and suddenly the audience is connected to the story. I can't tell you the amount of times that I've watched a TV show just because of a side character that only shows up once every couple of episodes. And I'm completely fine with that. I will be like, that's what keeps me going until I am connected to another element. So one of the great ways that you can build an element of suspense is connecting your audience to a familiar element.
0: Yeah. So what are some functional tools? Like what's, what's a way that a a author that you like or a story that you've written, what are some things we talked about animals, we talked about people but what are some things that people relate to?
1: People relate to grief and hmm. loss. People relate to achievement, be it somebody graduating from college or getting that job that they've always wanted. People relate to family and the element of it. I mean, chosen and found family is one of the biggest writing tropes out there that is beloved by many, by many most readers. People, yeah. Most people. It doesn't just have to be A person, a place, or a thing, it can be a concept. A relationship between someone and a grandmother figure, or a mother or father figure, or a sibling. All of these can definitely be used to connect people in some way.
0: And to build off of that, the way you build suspense off of that is you give something for someone to connect to, and then put that thing in jeopardy. (laughs) Ha
1: (laughs) ha! Never safer than when we're in jeopardy!
0: Never, yes. It's as long as we're in jeopardy, we are safe, but... Close enough. You, But you take that thing, like, you take the animal and you put it in danger. And now everyone's like, oh, what's going to happen to the animal? Right. You take the relationship and you put it in jeopardy. Like, oh, are the mother and grandmother going to be all right after this mm-hmm. event? Right.
1: A romantic relationship. Yeah. And you uh, and, you and use the... the miscommunication trope and tick off the violet author because <laughs> it's such a horrible trope. Don't use it. But,
0: but you can also, suspense doesn't always have to be, how do I want to put this? Like, so romantic suspense can sometimes be very good. Like the suspense of, are they going to kiss in this moment? Like that's, that's not necessarily a, if they don't kiss, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It doesn't mean that the relationship is over, but that, that element of suspense, are they going to ask the girl out or are they going to walk away? It doesn't have to be that the relationship itself is going to fall apart. The The will they, won't they of romance doesn't always have to be a miscommunication like, oh, the world's ending and there's no way that we're going to work out. So suspense is kind of like a rope and you are drawing your reader along Inch by inch, kind of like on the edge of this rope, like on the edge of their seat. Like, what's going to happen next? Oh, this happened. Like, that happened. And hopefully it leads to a beautiful resolution. The the couple kisses. The relationship is saved. The dog is avenged. Aww. All of those kinds of things.
1: I have nothing to add. I, that's, that's fine. I, I'm I not a huge romance person because I've yet to find a romance novel that does not fully rely on the miscommunication trope for some element of its plot. Feel free to comment and prove me wrong. I will read your uh, recommendations. If you tell me that, the, that book a book does not rely on that, that is romance, I will read it. I'd love to be proved wrong, but romance is not my genre.
0: So, what are some ways that you can write suspense and make suspense draw you? And I know you had a you had an idea coming into this.
1: Uh foreshadowing. Yeah. Foreshadowing is one of the most important ways to build suspense in a plot. You can use suspense to open a story. You can use the confusion and the chaos of a moment. In fact, I highly recommend it. I was uh, watching the Crimson Rogue, one of my favorite literary YouTubers last night, talking about one of the best book openings he'd ever seen. Oh, he'd ever read. And his life being like, the building was on fire and I didn't start it. Because that builds so much in one minute. But... Later on in a plot, it is very useful to build suspense by using foreshadowing, by adding little elements that you've seen before that help you know, like, we're going to have to tackle this at some point. Like, oh, this is what this has been building up to. Uh, one one example of using foreshadowing, I just realized that you were moving me towards room Yeah. and I just processed that. I still want to talk about that. I'll finish foreshadowing. I don't have an example for foreshadowing. I paused because I was gonna go in a room and that I had like no way to segue. <laughs> I was like desperate for a segue. So
0: um, yeah, foreshadow- foreshadowing is really good. And I think there's the problem with foreshadowing is it's very difficult to do it gently. A lot of a lot of especially new authors will do a lot of like forced foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Where let's say there's a, a character trait in another character that is kind of causing problems, but you're not really sure. A forced foreshadow would be your main character being like. I could see that this person was acting up and I knew that we would have to take care of that at some point. Like we would have to address that issue at some point. And then when that character ends up going crazy and that character ends up becoming like a minor villain or whatever, that was foreshadowed. Yes, but it was also forced foreshadowed. Mm-hmm. You want to be careful about that. In some cases, it works. Like if your main character is exceptionally perceptive and is in a situation where they would notice something like that. Like a
1: social worker. Should, <laughs> people should write more social workers. We're very perceptive.
0: <laughs> exactly. If, yeah, if they're, if they're a social worker and someone on their team, for example, is, is, is doing some kind of behavior that they're like, we are in the middle of a situation, we can't address that right now.
1: Mm-hmm. We don't have time <laughs> to unpack, unpack all of that, that. right now.
0: <laughs> but... You know, in that situation, it's not so much forced foreshadowing because it fits your character. But when it's your typical plucky teenage hero who's just like, oh my gosh, they're acting kind of weird. I guess we'll deal with that later. And then later like, oops, we didn't deal with it.
1: Yeah. Or even worse, when an author straight up points out their foreshadowing, like little did they know this would be the last time they saw their mother alive. (laughs) It's like, why would you ruin that? Why would you do that?
0: (laughs) On, On one hand though, that, that is a way that you can take it. It is not necessarily the best way. No. It can fit your style. Like if you're writing more of a humorous or like True. A, a humorous or slap in the face kind of suspense. Oh,
1: like the, like the um, unfortunate.
0: Series of unfortunate Series events. Series of unfortunate events. Yes. The
1: narrator in that is hysterical hysterically morbid. It is one of my favorite book series. I highly recommend it if you have the same sense of humor that I do. But I did not that,
0: enjoy it as much, just to just that, to be clear. That's but,
1: completely okay. <laughs> but yeah, that the use of suspense in that series is that the author will clearly outline like, this was a bad idea. But doesn't specify why because the uh, the the narrator already knows how it's going to go badly and the narrator is just letting the audience know we're going to return to this but because of the tone of the story it doesn't ruin anything because this is something the narrator does all the time and it it matches with the narrator's character which is exactly what scribe was saying is if it doesn't match the character it won't work as well you don't want a character who's this entire time been vehemently against smoking to suddenly pick up a cigarette. So, you don't want a character who's not as aware of his compatriots' emotions to suddenly notice when somebody's acting a little off. Yeah. So, I agree completely on that
0: point. Yeah. And great foreshadowing, I would say. Great foreshadowing, you do not realize until you are reading the book for the second time.
1: Mm-hmm. The best kind of foreshadowing is something you have to reread in order to catch everything.
0: Yes. And leaving enough clues that a perceptive reader might see something coming is good foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. But leaving enough clues that most people will only see it on a reread is excellent foreshadowing. Like, that's the point of foreshadowing. It is not to tell you what is going to happen. It is to leave hints and then rip the rug out from underneath Mm -hmm. your reader's feet.
1: That's not to say that you should lie. Never lie to your readers. Never like purposefully try and divert attention away because you feel like you've made something too obvious. Go back and make it less obvious. But if you like straight up lie and be like, but I knew that this person had died years ago because I watched them die. And then all of a sudden, like, they're back, and there was never any possible lead-up to, like, questions about how they died, questions about anything like that. Because even in Harry—well, I hate to—doing it again. Here we go. Even in <laughs> flipping Harry Potter, we have a pretty good use of foreshadowing for the reveal of Peter Pettigrew because of the way that he died. No one actually saw him die. They just saw the evidence afterwards. Screw you, J.K. Rowling. I hate having to use your books as examples. Take the burden from me, I beg of you. (laughs) Yeah, so
0: (laughs) a plot twist with absolutely zero lead up can be shocking, can be like a jump scare, and that can be a good thing, but it also has to make sense. And if people go back through and reread and say, there's no possible way for this to happen, that's not foreshadowing. That's, you know, that's not suspense. That's just a plot twist. And that's more horror jump scare type stuff.
1: Right. Also, while we're on the topic of things to avoid while writing suspense, the use of this of the two words and suddenly is lazy writing. If you're reading something and your build up into something is da 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 da, and then suddenly this thing stepped out from around the corner, like it just doesn't. There's so many other creative ways that you can build up to something surprising your characters.
0: Now I'm going to take a little bit of disagreements with that.
1: Oh, okay, go for
0: only it. only because. Do I think it's it's an easy solution? Yes. But it's also an easy solution in the same way that the word said is an easy solution.
1: But I'm against the word said as well.
0: You're allowed to be against it. That's right. But the word said blends into the background very easily. And so does and suddenly. Now, I'm not saying use it for everything. Same with said. If you use the word said for everything, your readers are going to become bored or they're just going to kind of glaze over it, which whatever. If you use the word and suddenly... Right. I think there's times for it. And if you are just like writing your first draft, use and suddenly and move on. Yeah. Because Don't you can come stuck back to... Don't on something,
1: yeah, that you can come back to to fix later. Yeah, Don't you interrupt can, the flow.
0: You can you can fill things out and, and talk about how something came out. Um, the
1: amount of times that Scribe has read a draft and seen in all caps something, insert description yeah. here, <laughs> <laughs> just because I didn't want to stop and figure it out. It's very often.
0: Yeah, So I would say and suddenly is a tool. It is your easiest tool. And that does not make it a bad thing, but it also does not make it a good thing to be overused. Mm -hmm. So I agree with what you say. There are a lot more creative ways. But also recognize that if you are reading your draft or reading your published book or a published book and they have a suddenly in the book, it does not immediately... It does it does not immediately mean that you are a bad writer like
1: no yeah no i i mean this more for published works like the overuse of said and suddenly and something that has been published means that there was a lack of imagination that went into how the world worked, how the characters reacted, that kind of thing. But if we're talking drafts, like there's nothing wrong with using words if your goal is to go back and make the entire story better.
0: But I, I think I think that even even in a published draft, if you are using those kinds of things intermittently, they shouldn't be your only tool. Right. But if you are using them, they are a tool and they can work. Mm-hmm. But yes, they are the easiest and we have seen so many of them that we would like to see less.
1: Yes, truly, truly. (laughs) So
0: I want to jump back to the narrator side of things, because you mentioned a narrator's voice can influence how a book is suspenseful or not. Mm -hmm. And you had a really cool example about that. And let me read a little bit of it. But I would like you to, to talk about that a little bit.
1: Yes. One of my favorite uses of suspense that I've read recently is in the book, The Room. Is it The Room or Room?
0: I think it's just Room. I think it's
1: just Room. This is a fascinating story that I'm going to actually look up the author because I can't remember. So Room is a novel written by Emma Donoghue. And it is a fascinating story of a woman who has been abducted when she was a child. She gets pregnant from her abductor and she has a child in captivity. This kid's name is Jack and the book is Through Jack's Eyes. Jack is five years old and he has been raised in the same room with the same objects his entire life so jack is what i'd like to consider an unreliable narrator and at some point i'm sure we'll go into what that means a little bit more but a brief overview of that is a narrator that the reader cannot rely on to gain 100 percent accurate information every mm-hmm. single time jack does not understand that the tv is just a TV show. He thinks that that is the world. He thinks that his room is the world. He thinks that there is nothing else important outside. And so Jack being an unreliable narrator builds the story using foreshadowing from the beginning because the reader has to work to be able to fully understand what's happening in any given moment. I would like to give a disclaimer. Room is not a happy novel. There are sexual assault scenes that are kind of relayed through the eyes of a child in a different room. It can be very disturbing. I also do not recommend the (laughs) Netflix adaptation of it or the movie adaptation of it because it has just some fascinating acting. So definitely... If you read this book, do so at your own discretion. But the element of suspense that I'm giving an example of is when the mother realizes that it's time for her and Jack to start escaping and she has a plan that she needs Jack in order to live out this plan entirely. And so, uh, a little bit of a spoiler, we'll move ahead to some kind of time signature if you don't want (laughs) to... Know it. Um, scribe, future editor scribe, insert time signature now for where people should go if they don't want spoilers.
0: You should go to...
1: Jack's mother It has to spend a good portion of a chunk of chapter convincing Jack to play dead so that she can roll him up in a rug, so that she can convince her captor that Jack has died and that uh, the captor needs to move him in this rug and bury him in an alternate location. So there's several pages of Jack and his mother going over this plan, over and over again, talking about it, practicing it. And it builds the suspense because Jack doesn't get it right almost any time. There's always a problem with the practice. Something always seems to go wrong. And then, (laughs) I hate to say it, but then suddenly, the captor is there and they need to enact the plan now. And the element of suspense that's so good here is because you can see through Jack's eyes that he's not ready. He doesn't feel ready. He's scared he's going to mess up, and he knows that if he does, his mom could die. Um, And he actually does mess up. When the truck rolls to a stop, Jack is supposed to get out, but he's unable to because he's unable to roll out of the rug, and so he has to get off several stop signs later, which messes up the mom's plan with the note that she had placed in his sock with all these different elements. And then when Jack does interact with the police officer, he's so young that through his unreliable narrator script he is not able to describe to the police officer where his mother is and there's several pages there where another layer of suspense is added because just because jack is safe does not mean that his mother is safe all that summed up to say there's so many good elements in room that build a good example of suspense once again read at your own discretion However, I, I highly recommend room for a good example of suspense. I have the page numbers somewhere and I'll I'll comment them somewhere in the Instagram. But um yeah. You can tune back in now if you were trying to avoid spoilers, by the way. <laughs>
0: I think that comes into uh, another thing I wanted to talk about, which is different kinds of suspense and different kinds of threats and danger. Uh, Suspense is built off of danger, like we've, we've mentioned, and danger can be the danger of a relationship not working out. It can be the danger of needing to get out of somewhere, get safe. But it can also just be the fear of the unknown. And so I think that's the two biggest kinds of danger in suspense and horror specifically, are the known threat and the unknown threat. And what I mean by that, like a couple weeks ago, I did a solo episode and I went on and did squibbler.io and I wrote for five minutes. It was very stressful because if you stopped, everything that you write gets erased. And I wrote two different stories, and one of them was about a person being chased, and there was a very real physical person chasing him. However, the reader didn't know anything about the context. So even though there was a very real, visible threat, there is a suspense of who is this and what is this. So it's like a double layer of suspense almost. The more unknown threat was in a another one where someone wakes up and sees a symbol in the sky, and goes off to save the city from something. And when I say wake up, I mean they are... <laughs> they are resurrected in order to save the city.
1: That's Superman. I know.
0: <laughs> That's basically what I wrote.
1: DC is so lame. Sorry, continue. Just needed to put that out there. My opinion on DC and Marvel is that... Marvel is better in every single way. Except for the villains. Yeah, well. DC has some better villains. Yeah. I stand the Joker. Continue. Fair
0: enough. But in that situation, you don't see the threat. You know that there is a threat, but you don't see it. So there's like a couple different layers here and different ways you can play it. So your threat can be known to the reader and known to the character. Your threat can be known to the character, but not known to the reader. It can be not known by either, but you just kind of know that there's a vague threat out there or any kind of permutation thereof. So in the situation you were talking about, the reader probably is able to parse out what's going on.
1: It takes a little bit of legwork though. Yeah. Like I remember, you just read it a little bit ago. There's some sections where I had to like stop and blink and be like, what in the world is this kid talking about? And then yeah. figure it out from there. Yeah. But yeah, you're right.
0: The And and going into a book, knowing the premise of it. Like if you go into a, a horror or a thriller book, knowing like, oh, this is going to be a horror or thriller. You can expect there to be some kind of threat, danger, what have you. Yeah, And so sometimes the reader does go into things knowing like, oh, this person is probably the evil person where the character might not know something. Or even though the book hasn't laid it out yet, the, the reader might be able to put stuff together. But when you're reading something like that, it's, it's interesting because the reader has more stress than the character and is under more suspense and more fear than the character is. And that is a really difficult way sometimes, but a really great way to lead into suspense.
1: Mm-hmm. You can often use this using dual pers- dual POV, which we see in Lauren Perdan's books. L.B. Perdan. Uh, L.B. Perdan, where she uses two main characters who switch off chapters uh, in order to build the suspense of, ooh, is, is she going to get found out? Is he going to find her? All these different things
0: yeah and and on that same note the reader knows both sides mm-hmm. and each character only knows one or the other and so when you're reading the one point of view you're kind of like oh is he gonna put the clues together and then reading the other one like is she gonna stay hidden like is she going to play this off well enough yeah so there there's a lot of different ways but I think it's important to kind of like know that going into it and know that as you're writing it like do you want to make your threat known to all parties? Or do you want to make your threat unknown to your main character, but known to a side character? For example, like if you started the book with an opening scene of some kind of like terrible threat in the woods and its attention is a turn to this tiny town. Um, and then you start the start day one with a certain character in high school or college or whatnot Mm -hmm. and then you make one of his best friends aware of this threat and know that this threat is coming the the reader will pick up on things like the the side character's habit of leaving or like omitting information or dodging questions that the character might not and that will grow the suspense in the pit of their stomach so to speak where the character is just walking blissfully ignorant Mm -hmm. of the terror that is about to unfold that i think is something that like movies do really well oh yeah like the opening to a quiet place 2 Mm. so in a quiet place it's about creatures that respond to sound and in the opening to a quiet place 2 it is the lead up to the initial attack and the way they do it, they do it masterfully because they enunciate every single sound Mm -hmm. And anyone who's watching knows what's going to happen. They know that these aliens are about to come out and kill anything that makes a noise. But every single shoe squeak, the person like goes into the grocery store and picks up a bag of chips and the whole bag like crunches, you know? Every single sound is enunciated.
1: And the the people in the story have no idea. Their living life is normal. Right. right. But the audience knows of a danger that they have. That that every single thing they're touching and interacting with and doing will in a few moments be what kills them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the that kind of lead up where the reader knows I think that's I think that might be one of the most dispensable things because you are freaking out for your character's sake.
1: Yep, or even in a quiet place one with the nail. Yeah. That freaked me.
0: Out. Yeah, that and that's something where like suddenly the stakes have just been raised so much.
1: Mm-hmm. And they introduce it early on and they keep referring back to it over and over again and you see people walk past the nail and then all of a sudden when it's worst possible moment, she steps on it. She steps on a nail. Ah!
0: <laughs> and anyone who stepped on a nail or poked themselves with a needle, oh knows what that feels like feels so bad. And knowing you have to withhold that scream, like you said, that's something you can relate to. Uh-huh.
1: and knowing like how
0: how do I process something like that without being able to scream? right. All of that wild
1: tangent tangent
0: to say there's different kinds of suspense that you can build, different kinds of dangers that you can have. And knowing what kind of one you're walking into, like what kind of threat, whether it be known or unknown, you want to write as you start your story can be really useful in helping set up your foreshadowing. Because if you want it to be known, you probably want to introduce it early on and just come out and say, yeah, there's a monster in the woods. But if you want to build up to some big reveal of like, whoa, there's a monster in the woods, then you probably want to lead up very quietly to that.
1: Maybe some remains of an animal or a few paw prints or strange snuffling sounds at night. But having a giant monster walk directly past your characters will not build foreshadowing. It will reveal Your creature. Yeah. So, there's a
0: I think for this last part, we should talk a little bit about plot twists. In other words, those and suddenly moments. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And how do you draw something like that out? Like, first of all, what's some other tools other than and suddenly that you could use to indicate a shocking moment is about to happen?
1: Oh, I'm trying to think of an example of a plot twist that I use.
0: So... First of all, like in a functional sense, if you're writing something and you're like, I don't know how to write this without writing it suddenly build your scene. You know, what what does your scene look like? I remember I was playing Dungeons and Dragons one time and they stepped into this zone, which had been like destroyed by some kind of magic. And there was like lightning crackling and there was mist everywhere. And building that scene let the characters feel instead of saying like, "Uh, yeah, so there's a giant spider to your right. You can say something like, lit by the crackling glow of energy, a giant eight-legged beast rose over the mound to the side. And suddenly, you know, between the two, I think one is more suspenseful than the other. Mm -hmm. I hope it's not the first, but setting it up, showing your setting allows you to say like, from around the corner, something sprung, a directional thing you can also just let it happen. One of the things I did with my uh, twisted memory story that I, I mentioned earlier with Stefan Izza Iza is events just happen. Like he's trying to get out and something attacks him and he doesn't know what. There's no suddenly. It's just he's in the moment and is now fighting and engaged in battle. There's no preamble. It just happens. So I would say Instead of on a functional sense, instead of saying and suddenly use your scene, use the world that you've created and to just let it happen and then let them process what happened post the fact. Mm-hmm. The other way you can do it is if you're doing more than one point of view, you can have another character kind of take over and <laughs> watch the scene as it as it unfolds. But yeah, in the terms of plot twists, when you're leading up to a plot twist, again, Foreshadow. Uh, And that can take some time building that foreshadow, and it can take a little bit of effort and like redoing and re editing. And be okay with that. Like, you can make some really clear and obvious foreshadowing in your first draft. Let it be super clear and obvious. Like, I want to foreshadow something here. But when you come back to it, make it less obvious. Uh, And then when you come back to it again, Mm -hmm. make it even less obvious.
1: Yeah, it's important to start out being able to identify what elements in the are good are going to be used for the foreshadowing Mm -hmm. like if you're if you have a main character who's secretly a villain or something and you're using maybe he carries a pocket watch with him it would be very easy to be like oh and then they find a pocket watch at the scene of the crime and they kind of like casting like an askance gaze at their friend who always keeps a pocket watch around at least when you've written that scene at least if it's obvious you have identified the fact that the pocket watch is now going to be something that you can look back on. A a, really, a
0: a really fantastic book with an incredible plot twist that I didn't see coming the first time that I read it, but has since allowed me to see similar twists in other books uh, is the book Three by Ted Decker.
1: Oh my gosh, a Ted Decker book. It's been a while since I've heard of him.
0: Yeah. Ted Decker is a more horror thriller typewriter. And the big twist at the end is that the main character has dissociative identity disorder or multiple personality disorder, I think is what it was called at the time that it was written. And all, most of the interactions that the character has had throughout the book are with himself. And I remember reading that for the first time and having never seen it done in literature before, like kind of being thrown off and like, wow, that's such a crazy twist. Like, But there were little things all along throughout the story that were hints just dropped out what's interesting though is these kinds of clues have been dropped and the story follows the main character and a detective who's trying to figure out what's going on and so you as the reader are brought along with this detective character to kind of see the clues and it's up to you and the detective to put them together. And as I recall the detective didn't put them together. I don't know if any readers did. But yeah, so that's kind of the that's the the foreshadow to the twist. And I think I think what I loved about that one was the monster was himself, which is such a brutal realization of like, oh, there was no other villain here. It's just my mind, which is terrifying. That
1: is really scary to think
0: about. <laughs> and uh, I, I think that's the other. That's the other really great thing. When you set up a book to be like a uh, a psychological or a supernatural thriller, like there's a monster out in the woods and Bigfoot is taking people. Bigfoot doesn't take people. Just to be clear, Bigfoot is a wonderful. I almost said human being. Bigfoot is a wonderful being. A, cryptid.
1: Um, a lovely cryptid.
0: Yeah, he, he protects the forest woodlands. He doesn't take people unless they probably should be taken. You just have to trust his process. But, you know, there's some monster out in the woods and it's like taking people. And then all of a sudden you realize it's not the monsters. It's actually this weird little sect
1: mm-hmm.
0: or this kid who everyone thought was great. Like, that is just so much more chilling.
1: The village. Yes. We watched that. Yes, we did. That was so good. Threw me for a hold of
0: Interesting. I saw that one coming too.
1: Yeah. I, I had a feeling there was something up with the monsters, but I thought that it was like a curse. Yeah. But it was really good. But no, that's not the example I was thinking of. I have another example of a great use of both suspense, foreshadowing, and a plot twist at the end. And that is the movie The Sixth Sense. Hmm. This movie is my mother's favorite of all time. Really? Yes. It is the... It is A, the only thriller that she's watched that she's fully enjoyed, and B, her favorite movie ever, and she will swear by it. Sixth Sense is a movie about a child psychologist who has a patient who claims that, well, he has, like, a secret ability. If you've ever heard the uh, quote, someone going, I see dead people, that's where where it's from, it's from the movie Sixth Sense. Have you seen Sixth Sense? I have not. It is fascinating. I am not going to spoil it. I simply recommend that you go and watch the movie with, like, zero expectations, it does a great job of setting something up and you knowing something the entire time, and then at the very end, something just clicking. Mm. I'm usually the kind of person, I've read stories and watched movies my entire life, I'm very good at picking out when something's going to be a a twist. This got me. It fully got me. Uh, But I highly recommend, if you have an evening during this... Hollow's Eve season to sit down and watch something a bit spooky uh, that you watch The Sixth Sense. It has fantastic acting, storytelling, cinematography, and most importantly the spooks. Uh, it does have some gore in certain areas but um, nothing that is active. It is like a passive standing gore, like something has already happened and you are seeing the aftermath of it. There is no- there's nothing sexual in it, there's very little language. I recommend it for anyone 16 years or older Older, as long as they don't have a high sensitivity to blood, most likely. Yes, actually, that's that's. I stand by that. All that to be said. I feel like we did a pretty good job on this one today. Yeah,
0: I feel like as always it was kind of all over the place because there wasn't a. It's easier when you're when you're writing a story because there's an outline that you can follow, mm-hmm. uh, and there wasn't really a a clear outline on this one. We just kind of went for it. Yeah. But hopefully, I mean that that also can be an element of suspense that you don't really know where things are going.
1: But who knows what we're going to talk about next? <laughs> um
0: So the elements of suspense opening. You want to have a strong opening that's going to make people gasp and say, "Who now? What now?" Huh? You want to have uh, foreshadowing throughout your book. In horror and thriller, things can be a little bit more gruesome of foreshadowing, like handprints on the walls, <laughs> and but in in. Other things foreshadowing can be a person's behavior, a person's uh, comments, you know, things that seem offhand and unnoticeable until you reread. And then you want to have plot twists and that's things like we were the villains all along, which is a great one. And let's see what else is there.
1: Show not tell. Yep. Which is just a solid rule all around for no matter what you're writing. Show not tell is a great way to build suspense because it makes the audience think. And I can tell you that readers can come up with something so much more gruesome in their own minds than you could ever describe on paper. So leaving room for the imagination while also allowing the reader to follow along the story is very helpful.
0: And something that's helped me is to think about it cinematically. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Think about like a camera panning from one side of the room to the other. And then once it gets to the other side of the room, that's where the hooded figure is standing.
1: Oh yeah. I just watched Black Phone recently and it had it did that a couple times the cinematography and that was
0: yeah so think about it you know when you think about it cinematically you can write a scene better because of it i think you know how what are the what are the ways that you can play eerie music so to speak with your writing what are ways that you can kind of hint that something terrible is about to happen and all you can do is wait for it you know what are ways that you can make those little moments really pop and really stick out to your readers. So when they hit them, they sit back and they say, wow, I just, I'm still shaking, you know? Yeah. If you have any other thoughts on elements of suspense, anything that we missed or anything that you disagree with, please let us know in in the comments below. As always, we are looking for names So Mm -hmm. if you have any names for characters to add to our wheels or character concepts that you'd like us to add to our wheels, we will be using those coming up pretty soon.
1: And if you're interested in um, leaving a bit more of a character summary with some interesting quirks and personality traits, you can get entered into the uh, story raffle that will be starting very soon, where I'm going to be choosing one person at random who has given us a character and writing a short story about... About their character so feel free to get involved in that I'll be posting a little bit about that more uh, on my Instagram so hopefully we'll be getting a little bit more traction on that speaking of our Instagrams feel free to check out our social medias at scribe of worlds uh, on Instagram or at the violet author on Instagram or if you want to see any of the uh, scripts not scripts any of the documents <laughs> for the past episodes that we've done that involve creative writing feel free to check out scribeofworlds.com, where Scribe has amassed uh, a group of our publishings uh, as well as Scribe's own stories, he's working on a group of short stories right now. That's actually like my favorite thing ever, uh, so I highly recommend that you go check that out. Especially if you're interested in the uh, Iza and Steph, the Stiza, the Steza, <laughs> the Steza ship, go check it out there. Fun thing that we're that we're doing with this October specialty group of episodes. I have made some art for our episodes featuring Scribe and I as ghosts. Uh, and if you'd like what you see, eventually, I think, up on Scribe's uh, Redbubble, Red bubble. there will be stickers that you can buy of us as ghosts. You can buy the Violet, you can buy the Scribe, or you can buy us together. So keep an eye out on that. We'll talk about that more once we have, like... That a little bit more done. We'll we'll drop the it at probably on
0: the red will bubble. be. It probably will be up. It probably by will this it. by this episode. You'd yeah.
1: want to drop the red bubble then, because I don't know the name of
0: it. Yeah, it's just the Scrub of Worlds. If you search Scrub of Worlds on Redbubble, the the shop will pop right up. Yep. So coming up, we still do have one more week of October, and we're really excited to to finish this out strong. However, coming up in November, we are going to be doing a special NaNoWriMo series. So November is National Novel Writing Month. I have done it twice. The Violet Author is doing it for the first time this Mm -hmm. year. The idea is that you take 30 days and write 50,000 words. (laughs)
1: <laughs> the concept of that is terrifying to me. It,
0: it is. You, there's also twists where you can edit, you can... Finalize. It's, you can finalize, you can... There, there's a lot of different ways that you can... It, it'll work with you and wherever you are in the writing process. Yes. But we are going to be hosting a, a series of authors and writers who have participated or are participating in Nanorimo this year. And we're really excited about it. Uh, there are some of our closest writing friends and acquaintances... And it's gonna it's gonna be a great time. So if you are prepping for NaNoWriMo, and want to get some encouragement, some insight, uh, come along for, for that crazy ride. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah.
1: Episodes will be shorter that month instead of our usual 45 minute due to the fact that we will be writing. So we do not, we will not have as much time dedicated. Then at the end of NaNoWriMo, either the last week of November or the first week of December, we will be recapping with all of the people that we interacted with throughout NaNoWriMo to ask them how their writings went. And I will be giving weekly updates on how I'm doing sticking to a writing schedule which is not something I've (laughs) ever actually completed before so stay tuned to hear me probably lose my mind a little bit but it's it's gonna be fun and I'm really excited for it so stay tuned for that and if you want to be commenting along on your process during that time we'd love to hear your thoughts Alrighty.
0: Well, it is just about that time, so stay safe out there, stay warm, the weather's getting a little bit colder, at least in our area, and as always, wander well.
1: Goodbye!